everyone, welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast, Episode 8. This is Eric Murtaugh, back as your host. This is following the 41-30 loss for Notre Dame at Michigan on Saturday night. We're taping this, as always, on Sunday night. This will be posted on a Monday morning. I have Paul Rigney back on the podcast, and today we're going to talk about all the goings-on in the first loss of the season. Paul, just give me your thoughts on... Uh, how this game played out, um, kind of what your disappointment level is with the game itself, and if this affects the way you think the season's going to play out uh, for 2013. Oh, well, where do I start? Um, I want to, first off, uh, sort of tip my hat to Michigan's game plan. I think they had a really good game plan for us, I think, they executed a lot better than we did. When you look at the statistics, though, uh, after the game, it's not as bad as it looks. Now everyone's going to talk about how Devin Gardner aired it out and put it on the ground and made some really nice plays, but so did we offensively. I think when you look at the, the simple numbers on paper, we had 410 yards of offense, so obviously we're doing something right moving the ball. I think our efficiency uh, left a lot to be desired. I think defensively, the concerns that we had going into this game reared their ugly head, as I wrote in the instant reaction. I think we saw some pretty deep holes in the secondary get exposed. I think we had some mental breakdowns, and when you look at it, we were still in the game up until the very end, but when you make mistakes early on, when you make some pretty egregious errors penalty-wise, it's really going to hurt your football team. And I really think when it comes down to it, defensively, we really struggled in this game. I think that's pretty clear. Anytime a team puts up 460 yards of offense, you're obviously doing something wrong. Despite that, I think there are some good things to look forward to. I think our special teams took a huge leap. It was almost night and day from last week. I think our defensive line woke up, but it took them three quarters to do it, which was kind of nice to see. I also think that this team is growing. I think you saw some positives in the running game. I think despite the two interceptions, I think Tommy Rees played okay. Uh, I think he played a lot better than people are giving him credit for. And it helps the fact that the team can work on fixing our weaknesses with the next two opponents, especially the upcoming opponent in Purdue, because I think this is the type of team where you'll be able to correct a lot of the errors and address some of the shortcomings that the team currently has. But I'm not really that worried about the, the program. I think that this was sort of expected. In fact, in the earlier podcast, like I said, I, I saw this coming. I said a 10-point loss. I could see a 10-point loss, and it was an 11-point loss. And despite that, we still played very well um, in some facets. I think there are other facets w that we'll address later in the podcast that we could definitely fix. But overall, I'm not as crushed uh, as a lot of people may be. Uh, if I had to say on a, a threshold pain level from one being a win and ten being, you know, the 2007 Navy loss, I, I'm probably about a three. I'm really not that 
overall disappointed. I am disappointed we lost, but it's not something that I think is going to negatively affect the team moving forward. Yeah, that's about where I would be as well. Um, I think what fans are trying to, to grapple with after this game is the notion that Notre Dame was outcoached um, and that maybe some of Brian Kelly's bad tendencies were um, on full display again. Um, and again, we'll get into that a little bit later as far as maybe not running the ball enough, not having the defense prepared. I'm trying to think, and maybe you can answer this, did this feel like Michigan flat-out outcoached Notre Dame? Because on rewatching this game, I didn't really feel like Michigan had outcoached them, only because when you look at the line play, I thought that was a huge advantage for Notre Dame in this game. And it's really hard to sit back and and watch Notre Dame run the ball a little bit better with their running backs, get way more pressure on the quarterback with their defensive line and their blitzes. And Michigan really wasn't that good on their lines. Um, and I think, um, and I got in this in the preview and my recap as well, it seemed as though we abandoned the run a little bit and then in when you're not connecting on some passes, it's almost like we're beating ourselves, and it, a lot of fans like to just place the blame on the coaches for that. Did you think we were outcoached a little bit or outcoached by a lot? I think it's one of those phrases that people like to use when they can't pinpoint a specific reason for why a team loses a game. When you say you're outcoached, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that they had a better game plan? I'm not so sure. I, like you, I think we were getting a lot of push in, uh, from the offensive line. I think the fact that Reeves was statistically, I think, only sacked twice, uh, maybe officially once, because uh, they may have given one of them as a carry for him. I'm not entirely uh, confident on that. The fact that our offensive line had two running backs, and I am giving that credit to the offensive line, that our we had two running backs averaging over five yards a carry. If you take in Cam McDaniel's one carry for four yards, that's still pretty good. I don't think it's necessarily a coaching thing, and I hate to use the phrase digging up memories of the Ty Willingham era, but I think execution is really key, especially when you're in a hostile environment like Michigan Stadium, when you have all of the emotion of the final matchup between the two teams at the stadium, the fact that Michigan decided that this was going to be the game that they were going to honor their legends players. So we saw Devin Gardner wearing an offensive lineman jersey, defensive lineman jersey for the entire game, and it kind of looks silly to me. But you had all of these intangibles coming together that forced a team to be more disciplined. And I think if you're going to pinpoint any blame on the coaching staff, I think discipline comes into it. I, I don't think it's necessarily a scheme thing. I don't necessarily think it's a plan thing. I, I really think it's a discipline and execution uh, component to it. When you look at our line play, our offensive line played great for probably 90 to 95% of the snaps. I think Ronnie Stanley and Lombard had a couple breakdowns, but that's just a couple. We were getting great push. I thought we had great push from Watt. I thought we had great, great push from Martin. Um, but coming back full circle, the idea that Notre Dame was quote-unquote outcoached I think is a misnomer because I think going into the game, Michigan already had advantages going for them that Notre Dame had to overcome, and we obviously didn't overcome them. I don't think you can 
necessarily blame the coaching staff for those. And when it boils down to it, all Michigan had to do was execute a very basic game plan that looked a lot like their offensive performance against us two years ago, where it was very quarterback heavy, it was very quarterback dependent, and it forced our defense to execute their game plan correctly. And that is, therein that lies where we lost. I don't think, again, it's a quote-unquote out-coached issue. I think it's more or less an execution issue, which a team of this youth of uh, this early in the season will be able to grow on as the season goes along. Yeah, and this is one of those weird losses where I think a lot of fans would say that the defense was the big problem, but yet there seems to be a pretty large uh, vocal minority focusing on the offense, sort of with the saying, you know, 19 rushes at 6 yards per carry, therefore ND was outcoached. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit when we talk about the offense. Let's start with the defensive line. Um, what did you think about their play? Uh, they only ended up with, I think, one official sack. Um, in rewatching this game, I was kind of amazed at how much pressure we, we put on Gardner. Not all of that was from the defensive line. A lot of that was blitzes from the linebackers and from players like Collinsworth. Um, but overall, I thought the defensive line pre played pretty well. I mean, a lot of the snaps, I think I had graded it out almost half of Gardner's passing attempts. He was either about to get hit or he was hit um, and definitely pressured on a lot of those passing attempts. And that's with him getting rid of the ball quickly in a lot of plays. What did you think of the defensive line? I'm pretty much de dead on with you when it comes to the defensive line play because when you look at the stats again, the stats don't lie. The defense played, the defensive line rather, played pretty well. Um, I think you're not going to see a lot of sacks on the stat sheet basically because you saw Al Borges kind of key up quarterback runs for Devin Gardner to try and take that blitz pressure off that if he was able to blitz when we were sending uh, middle linebackers through our A-gaps, he was sort of running off tackle around everything into space. But, again, we were getting push. Uh, their running game, and I think this is where the defensive line really stepped up, is Michigan could not run the football on us. They really, really struggled to run the football. When you take everything outside of Gardner's carries, where he had 82 yards rushing on his quarterback keepers, and you take away a couple sort of miscues by the defensive line with regards to picking up uh, specific blocking assignments, gap assignments, what have you. It really was not that bad a performance, especially when you look at the tackle sheet. it had the one interception. Uh, I think that's good because he was basically double-teamed the entire game. You saw some pretty solid performances on the ground. Um, Lewis Nix, I think, finally woke up uh, it took him about three and a half quarters to do it, but still he didn't necessarily make any egregious errors outside of his one penalty. Uh, you saw people like Shembo contribute. I think you got to give a lot of credit on the pick six by two it to Shembo and Collinsworth. And since I'm going to loop glump in Shembo on the D-line because he was basically in end blitzing for a lot of it, uh, I'll give him a credit where credit is due. Uh, Sheldon Day, we, we talked a lot of 
uh, we had a lot of concerns following the Temple game about Sheldon Day's performance because he was basically invisible. I thought he played very well. He had two tackles, one of them solo. He had an assist. I'm okay with that, especially when you're a defensive lineman that people aren't expecting to contribute, and he, very, he contributed pretty well to me. Uh, overall, I don't think the defensive line really was the negative of our defense performance overall. I think that when, you, when it boils down to it, kind of, no pun intended, they were actually the strongest unit for Notre Dame the entire game, defensive-wise. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think if you look back at this game, the defensive line played about as well, so they're going to play without putting up um, gaudy stats and picking up a lot of sacks. Um, when you're looking at the defensive line, you want them to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. They did that, and you want them to shut down the uh, opponent's rushing attack, and outside of some of Gardner's scrambles, they were able to do that. Um, Toussaint ended up with 71 yards on 22 carries for 3.2 per rush. That's really good defense for Notre Dame in and of, in and of itself. Um, and if you just take a look at some of his rushes, this is our, his, these are Toussaint's rushes from uh, Saturday night. Zero yards, zero, two, 14, two, four, negative one, four, three, negative five, ten, three, negative three, two, nine, three, three, 22, one, negative two, one, negative two, zero. So you have seven. You take away that 22-yard that run, he's got 21 carries for 49 yards, and right. you're talking just over two yards a carry. I mean, our defensive line played really well, staunch against the running backs. And when you look at a couple of those big runs for Toussaint, um, I believe there was an early one, I think of the 14-yarder, where Shoemate, came up and totally lost contain, and Toussaint was able to cut in the middle and gain that. And then the 22-yarder was completely on um, Farley Farley coming up. So that's not really – either of those aren't on the uh, defensive line. So overall, I think that was a pretty good uh, game for the defensive line. The idea when you're on the defensive line, when you have a team that's going to try and run the football on you, is you want to make sure you push him to gaps for your linebackers or for your safety so they can pick up and make the stops. And if you're lucky, a, a solid enough defensive lineman will be able to shed his block and contribute to the tackle. And for the most part, our defensive line did that most of the night, especially with the running backs. I'm not, maybe not necessarily with Devin Gardner, but when you're looking at Toussaint, uh, even the end around that Gallon ran, uh, Norfleet tried to run another reverse. It didn't quite work. Uh, Gallon's, again, if you remember, was sort of a double reverse type thing, whereas Norfleet's right. was an end around. But they gave one handoff to Green, and he lost yards. So any type of edge that Michigan was trying to gain in the running game was pretty much moot because we had neutralized it to the point where they could only rely on Devin Gardner. Okay, let's transition to the linebackers. Uh, Jalen Smith again played a lot. Uh, ben Council played a lot. I thought both of those guys played pretty well. Um, Council really isn't getting a lot of publicity on the telecast, but I seem to be noticing him a lot, especially in the run game. Mm -hmm. uh, we already kind of touched on Shembo a little bit. I thought he played pretty well. The inside, what did you think about the inside linebackers? I thought not necessarily a terrible game for them. It seemed to be a little bit better than the Temple game. 
Uh, it didn't seem they were targeted as much in the passing game, but uh, it just seems like they're too slow. Um, just not not enough talent there. What do you think? I, I think speed does play a role. I think the first touchdown, the reason why Gallon was able to get so open, it looked to me off first glance that it was a communication breakdown between Smith and, I guess, Bennett Jackson, uh, or as Russell. It was, one, it was one of our cornerbacks and Smith. They both covered flat, and he ran post, and there was no one there, and he was wide open in the middle of the field. So those are growing pains. In the middle, yes, I think we are pretty undersized when you look at it. But uh, I give some credit to Jared Grace. Uh, they started playing him more in the second half. I thought he played pretty well. Uh, he had a tackle for a loss, so good, good on him. Uh, and finish with three total tackles. I think that's a, a good sign for the future. Credit to Dan Fox. Uh, led the team in tackles. He also had a tackle for a loss, so good on him. When we were talking, though, in the Temple podcast, when we were talking about the recap, we were, everyone, from you to Lars to myself, expressed concern over the way our linebackers would react to a quarterback in space, a player in space, or the play action. And I think overall we did see those weaknesses kind of rear their ugly head, that we lack, I don't want to say elite athleticism, because that sort of sounds like one of those words that you'd read on a, 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 a recruiting blog or something like that, but we really do. I, I, I think outside of Smith we are pretty struggling with regards to size, uh, with regards to overall speed and sort of awareness of uh, position when it comes to our middle linebacking core. I think it was one of the more weaker units that performed, even though as a whole the unit performed pretty admirably. Uh, when you look, again, at the statistics, you have of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 tackles for a loss, more than half of them were from our linebacking core. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Eshock Williams, who had the Irish's first sack of, I believe, the season. So all credit to him. I thought he played actually very well, um, all facts considering. I think that Grace played pretty well, uh, especially considering this was sort of his first extended action. But again, like you said, there is some size, there is some speed that's missing from that unit that hopefully as the season goes along we'll be able to address it, maybe not personnel-wise, but we're able to address it with a scheme that won't exploit that unit the way that Michigan uh, really did. So in my recap, I was looking at a, a handful of plays where Gardner just basically out-athleted our defense, and there was a, a play late in the second quarter, I believe. Um, if you remember, Jalen dropped the interception, which would have mm -hmm. been a huge momentum shift. And then we ended up declining a penalty, so it was third and eight, I believe. And Gardner, I think it was a quarterback draw, and he runs right up the middle. Fox comes up to meet him. He's in perfect position. And Gardner just takes a little turn to his right and is just able to run away from Fox for the 10-yard first down. And then on the very next play, we get pressure on Gardner, and he just fires a perfect pass for 41 yards. So I think that kind of encapsulates kind of the weaknesses on the inside, you know, perfect position, just not able to make a play, and uh, Gardner makes back-to-back -back big plays on Notre Dame. So, 
in many ways that sequence summed up the entire game too for our right. defense. When you we were getting to him. I mean, we were hitting him almost every play or every other play. We had a chance to wrap him up so many times in the first half that it was very frustrating to see him just deliver the ball immediately afterwards we would hit him. And we, you saw the pressure coming. You knew we were blitzing. You knew where they were coming from. And so did he. And all credit to the fact that he was able to get the ball out. But again, on the quarterback draws, that is where, and I hate to bring it up, that's where having a guy like Manti Teo was really nice last year. Is when you had a guy that had the football savvy, that had the defensive smarts, that he knew what angles to take, he knew what position to be in. And you also had a guy that was an anchor back there that was able to, for lack of a better term, lead the troops. And I didn't think you saw that. In many ways, on a lot of those quarterback runs, it was sort of every man for himself that everyone would sort of try and take a dive at Gardner to try and stop him. And there was no no communication from the defensive line pushing him up the pocket to try and force sacks. There was no communication from the defensive backfield to try and cut off angles. And there was no communication between the safeties and the defensive backfield, cornerback-wise, to fill holes in the zone. And Michigan really took advantage of that. And that's where having a guy like Danny Spond uh, would have been nice to have. That's where having uh, someone like Manti Teo really helped us last year. You take away all the interceptions, he's still leading them back there. He's still getting in there on the run. He's forcing Denard Robinson up the lanes. He's not allowing them to get outside. And we really had a lot of, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, just disciplined, or lack thereof, breakdowns by our defense. And it really, really hurt us especially when we needed stops. Uh, the one that stands out to me is in the second half, we had the 90-yard drive, came down, scored. We needed to stop them. They came right back down and answered because we yep. just sort of let them take advantage of our weaknesses. And that's where I'm hoping against Purdue coming up that we're able to address some of those things that maybe somebody like Dan Fox or somebody like Jalen Smith, even though he's a freshman, shows some leadership back there and is able to sort of rally everyone around at least getting our team, our defense, in position to make the plays that we weren't able to. Okay, so let's take a look at the secondary. I think everyone would agree that this is probably the weakest point of the defense for Notre Dame. Um, going back to that sequence of plays um, that I just mentioned, um, there was a 41-yard pass by Gardner, and if you watch the replay, and they showed it a few times in the telecast, Russell's in great position. He even gets his hand out to try to knock the ball away, and somehow Michigan completes the pass. It's a perfect pass. Um, in some ways, you just have to shake your head and tip your cap to some of the plays Michigan were making. In your opinion, Paul, do you think uh, the secondary was a tire fire, uh, or do you think they just kind of weren't able to make a few plays uh, and that was the difference in this game. What do you think? I think it's unfair overall to combine the two. When you have players like... I actually think Russell and Jackson, you take away Jackson's pass interference call, which I think every Notre Dame fan will agree was a little suspect at best and was just a bad call uh, at worst. 
that they actually played pretty well. Uh, Jackson was second in the team in tackles, six solo, three assisted. I'm not necessarily that troubled with our cornerbacks. I actually think despite all the long gains that they got in the passing game, I think our cornerbacks played decent. If you had to give them a letter grade, it was probably a C. They played about average. It's when you get into the safety position that you saw a lot of glaring, glaring weaknesses. You had Matthias Farley uh, with a, a pretty bad series of plays. You could, you could make the argument that this may have been next to the national championship Farley's worst game. Shoemate with a pass interference call in the end zone. Uh, Farley with a pass interference call in the end zone that set up 14 points for Michigan. You had um, I, Collinsworth played all right, but he had only had one assisted tackle, and that was essentially on the the pick six that we had, where he heard the quarterback. Right. Uh, and it was if you want to, as Lars showed on the one foot down films post earlier this week about containing Gardner and flushing him forward into the pocket, you look no better than a textbook example of what Collinsworth did on that play. But that's probably the bright spot for our safety core. Uh, I, I've, I said this, um, and I think maybe in one of the comments on, on the website, I would not be disappointed if we saw Max Redfield at least play a couple snaps against Purdue, or at least make an appearance against Purdue, because I think there's a lot of athleticism that's really missing in the defensive backfield at safety. I think our safeties played quite poorly, maybe with the exception of Collinsworth, but when you get into sort of the secondary as a whole, it was a pretty lousy performance. Anytime that you can have a, a, a quarterback like Devin Gardner, who, mind you, last year was a wide receiver for Michigan, throw for almost 300 yards, throw for four touchdowns, have a pretty solid quarterback rating, and really don't have him make any mistakes outside of one interception, never put the ball on the ground, you never uh, really contained their star receiver, you're obviously going to look at the secondary as a point of weakness. Are they things that can be fixed? Absolutely. But in the interests of the Michigan game, the again, the numbers don't lie. And the numbers show that Notre Dame had a very, very weak performance in the defensive backfield. And the secondary is a very large contributor to that problem. Yeah, I'm trying to juggle a couple of things here. Um, I thought Carter in the passing game was phenomenal. I think... When the coaches are going to review his tape, he's going to get very high grades for his accuracy, um, his timing, knowing where his receivers are, knowing where to put the ball. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Farley played okay at times. He made a nice pass breakup um, early in the game. And then I believe the next play after that, Russell got a pass interference in the end zone, which set up uh, mm -hmm. Gardner's rushing touchdown. Um, late in the game, Farley knifed through the line for a nice tackle for loss. Um, I think that was either right after or right before Jackson's um, pass interference call. Mm -hmm. So he was doing a couple good things. Um, the big thing with the safeties is we don't seem to be anything as far as breaking up passes and doing what safety should do is, you know, 
stay back and help out your corners. I don't know if this is more of a scheme issue. Um, it did seem like the corners run islands a lot in the game. Um, Absolutely. Collinsworth doesn't seem to do a whole lot besides, you know, coming up at the line of scrimmage and blitzing, so we haven't seen him a whole lot in coverage. So I don't know if this really, is going to... Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I really think it was a scheme thing. I think you saw, at least in the first half, Bob Diaco was having our linebackers blitz to try and get to Gardner, and we weren't getting there fast enough. So when we adjusted in the second half, it looked like we started putting in Collinsworth, and he was the one that was the blitzer, that he was the guy that was going through the gap because he had a little bit more speed than, say, Carlo or Jared Grace or somebody like that. But like you said, I, as, a, as a Washington Redskins football fan, I always sort of hold in esteem Sean Taylor. And Sean Taylor was really the epitome of a safety because... NFL teams would not throw across the middle, and they would not throw deep because of Sean Taylor. Because when you have a guy that is so athletic, that is so fearsome in that backfield, that you don't want to set your receivers up to get basically destroyed back there, you're going to try and work around him. And what we saw with Michigan was not, not only were they not working around our safeties, they were going right at our safeties. That when you had Gallon, when you have a guy like Gallon who at the half had 123 yards receiving, and in the second half it was a, more of the same. I mean, he ended up finishing, I think, with 180 some odd yards receiving. All credit to him because a lot of the catch, 184 yards receiving, looking at the stat sheet, all credit to him because he played a very, very good game. But that is partially due to very good play by him as well as bad play by our secondary. Okay, just to wrap up the defense, what are your thoughts on how good you thought this 2013 defense is going to be, and then maybe after two games, um, how much worse you think they are? Or if you do think they're worse, what are your thoughts on that? I think we are a team that defensively is sort of a, a mix of two ships passing in the night. We have some very strong core veterans like Lewis Nix, like Dan Fox, like Carlo, but they're playing alongside guys that have never played before, and in some cases, like Jalen Smith, are true freshmen. And I think it's going to be up to our veterans to get those new players up to speed and they got to work together. I think when you look at our defense, the one thing that did concern me was this defensive performance looked a lot like the John Tenuta defenses under Weiss. It was kind of running around aimlessly, especially in the first half. I think in the second half we adjusted pretty well. Um, but at the end of the day, when you allow 460 yards of total offense and 41 points to a team like Michigan where Michigan, I think at the end of the day, when, you, when the season is over and we look at the schedule, Michigan may end up being one of the best teams that we've played this season. It still is a huge red mark, and it's something that you got to highlight. The one thing I also did want to say, after the game, the way that that game looked to me 
was a lot like the 2005-2006 Fiesta Bowl, where we played Ohio State, where Ohio State had 600-some-odd yards of offense that Troy Smith and Ted Ginn ran and threw all over us. But we only lost by 14 points, and Ohio State only scored 34 points. And it was a game where the defense gave up a lot, and they gave up points and yards when we needed them to get stops. But the offense really kept us in the game. The, our offense, like in 05 in Tempe, or 06 in Tempe because it was January, so January 2006, really kept us in the game. And I guess as we segue to the offense, it's worth noting that the reason why the game was so close wasn't because of the defense, it was because of the play of our offense. Right, and I think this is going to be one of the more interesting storylines um, for this season. Heading into the fall, it seemed as though everyone was very pleased and happy with the with the defense. A lot of people saying, you know, not many worries about the defense this year, but it's looking like uh, that may, may not be necessarily true. Um, and then if you want to look to next year, I think kind things are kind of scary as well. Absolutely. Uh, losing some players on the defensive line and probably going to have to rely on a, a lot more young talent um, in 2014. Uh, let's transition to the, the offense. Um, statistically, a pretty good game for them. Let's start with a quarterback, Tommy Reese. Um, he had his moments where he was really clicking. Uh, he ended up with... Let me check the stats here. He ends up with 314 yards, uh, 29 completions. He did throw the ball 51 times, uh, a pair of picks. One was a pretty bad pick. The other one was a tipped ball. Um, what did you think of his performance? Uh, do you think this is about as good as Reese is gonna, going to be against uh, a legit top 25 team? No, because I think we actually saw that him put together a legit performance last year. I think his relief duty against Stanford, his relief duty against Michigan last year, I think was probably the best performance that you're going to see out of him. I think you saw good Tommy and bad Tommy last night. I think you saw him put the ball in good spots for his players. I, I think uh, overall... He didn't play that bad, but anytime you have a quarterback that's going to have to sling the ball 51 times, something's going wrong. But even then, he, he threw for 314 yards. He had a pair of touchdowns, again, throwing one to Nicholas. Uh, T.J. Jones got on the board, too, which is nice. Uh, he took a sack. Uh, it looked like he banged his knee, but I, I guess he's okay. Overall, when you look at Tommy Reese's play, like I said in the podcast earlier in the week, last week, that if we are going to be in this game, it's going to be because of the play of Tommy Reese. And I think a lot of fans and commentators and even Notre Dame haters are giving Tommy Reese a lot of grief. I think when you when it boils down to it, he really kept us in the game. Now, I am with you on the picks. I think the one pick... The first one at the end of the first half was a very bad pick. I think when you when I rewatched it, had he tucked it and ran it, he probably would have gotten the first down or close to it, even with his speed or lack thereof. The second one, you can't really fault because he 
got it in there. It had good speed. He just threw it a little bit high. He threw it a little bit ahead of TJ Jones, I believe it was. And it hit off a Michigan defender's knee and right into the hands of another one. I don't know how you necessarily blame him for that. I think when the, the, the concerning thing for me, and it is a weakness that we were well aware of at the beginning of the year, is that when you have to bring in your backup quarterback to try a long pass, mm. I think <laughs> it really shows the shortcomings that we have at the quarterback position. I, I, I think any Notre Dame fan would make the argument that had we had somebody like Everett Golson back there, the game may have had a different outcome, but that's assuming that our offensive game plan was going to look like it did last night. I'm not so sure it would have. I bet we would have ran a lot more zone read and run. But overall, if you got to give Tommy Reese a, a performance, this is about as average of a Tommy Reese performance as, as you're going to get. He threw for 300 yards. He had some nice completions. He threw a couple good touchdowns, although one of them you could argue was luck. But... He only got sacked once. He had forever to throw. Still was over 50% on a completion percentage. I'm not that disappointed with him because I don't think that is necessarily the reason why we lost. I think that he did what was asked of him. And if you're going to fault him for anything, fault him for the one interception that resulted in a Michigan touchdown. But even then, let's take away that touchdown. Michigan still beats us by four. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same level as you. Um, I thought there was another throw, and I'll say I, I thought he played pretty well. Um, we'll talk about the play, play calling here in a second. Um, mm -hmm. I thought maybe some of the, the play calls were tough for Reese. You know, We're sitting at third and four, and we're trying Reese to throw a, a deep to intermediate pass you know, in the corner of the end zone. Uh, I think that's just a dumb play call. Um, but there's another pass. Uh, it's third and eight. Uh, we were on the Michigan 23. I think it's the second to last uh, possession of the game. And he tries to fit the ball in between three defenders to DeVaris Daniels. And the linebacker jumps up and almost intercepts it. Um, and if you watch the replay, he had Jones wide open on the crossing route. And I think he would have easily picked up the first down. Um, we go on to kick the field goal to get within four points, but in a situation like that, it would have been nice if Reese would have hit Jones and we possibly score a touchdown and tie the game. If you look at that throw and then obviously his first interceptions, I thought those were two huge mistakes. Other than that, I wasn't too upset with the way he played. Um, it just seemed like you know, a lot of his incompletions were so close to being nice plays. Um, there was one in particular he threw across the field to Jones, that was just out of bounds. Um, I think he had a couple uh, near the end zone as well that were just, you know, a foot or two too far in front of the receiver. Um, uh, let's talk about the play calling a little bit. Um, sure. A lot of a lot of people ripping their hair about about the 51 passing attempts and 19, I believe, rushing attempts. Did you feel like we were throwing the ball too much? I know while watching the game last night and then rewatching this morning, it really didn't feel like we were throwing the ball that much. I don't know if that's just because um, we were down and we, we needed to move the ball in the air quickly, especially in the second half. Um, I was actually kind of surprised we only ran the ball 19 times. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And um, 
did you think we should have gone to the running game a little bit more? I think any person that you're going to talk to about this game is going to say we should have ran the ball more. And in a vacuum, yeah, we should have ran the ball more. But guess what? We were also down two scores for most of the game. The closest we got it, outside of it being tied, I think 10-10 to was, or maybe even right after kickoff when it was 0-0, second half we get down, so we're down four points. I, I think it's worth mentioning that we were never in a position where we could consistently run the football. When you start down 10-0, you got to put your team in a position to get back in the game. You have to throw the football. The other thing that is worth noting, too, is what everyone has been talking about, is the reason why a lot of experts had picked Notre Dame, is on paper, we, were, we had a better group of athletes than Michigan that their secondary was known to be a weak component of their team. I'm sure they saw it on the stat sheet, and I'm sure they saw. I'm sure our coaching staff saw it on game film that Michigan could be exploited in defense, especially in the defensive secondary, and we attempted to do so. I think it would have been nice uh, to be able to run the ball more. I'm also with you. I think 19 carries was silly. The only time... The only drive, really, that bothered me that we didn't run the football uh, to a large extent was the drive in the second half where we had two very long runs, one by Carlisle, I think Atkinson put together like a 16- or 17-yard run, and we got all the way down into uh, field goal range, uh, right into the red zone, and you we, we ran three straight passing plays and ended up having to kick the field goal. I think if you want to sum up our offensive performance, or at least on a play-calling basis, that drive really did it. When you have a team that gains the yardage that we gained, and again, I'll say it, I'll pound the nail in, and I'll keep pounding the nail until it's you know I'm, I'm hitting the wood beam, we gained 410 yards of offense. That is a very good statistic. That is an amazing statistic. But we only scored 23 points off those 410 yards. That means your efficiency is got to be a weakness. Your efficiency has to be off in some way. If you're going to fault play calling, and I don't, I'm with you, it didn't really feel like we were throwing the ball that much, but the only part of the play calling that bothered me was when we got into the red zone. Is everything between the 20s was fine. I, I thought the play calling was, was good. We were we were we were putting the ball up in space, uh, so Daniels could get some catches, so Jones could get catches. We we ran the ball when we could, but it's also worth mentioning Kelly's comments at his press conference Sunday morning, this morning, where he sort of mentioned using the pass to set up the run. And when you're down 14 points, when you're down 10 points, when you're down 4 points, you really don't have the luxury of putting the ball on the ground on a consistent basis. It's also worth mentioning on our first two offensive drives, we tried to use the run. We tried to utilize the run. Now, I'm not entirely sure the play calls were right because it looked like we were running dives and not powers. We adjusted, started running more off tackle plays, more power plays, and it, it worked. We just didn't use it enough, but I think it was also because if you want to blame a unit, you got to blame the defense. The defense is the reason why we weren't able to run the ball on a consistent basis, because when you're down 
10-0, when you're down 27-13, you can't run the football the way you want to. You can't run a balanced offense because you have to try and score to get back in the game, and you don't have that luxury. Uh, what I would have liked to see, uh, and I, with regards to play calling, is a game plan that looked a lot like the 2005 USC game under Charlie Weiss, where instead of trying to score as fast as possible, we really ground the clock out. That we really tried to utilize the clock, that we tried to keep their defense off the field, because when you read the comments by Kelly, it seemed that the coaching staff was pretty well aware that Devin Gardner could be an explosive and electric player. My counterpoint to that is, why would you create a game plan that gets him back on the field as fast as possible? I, I would have hoped that we would have employed a game plan that would have kept their offense off the field and kept their defense on the field, utilizing the running game. But when you're down the way we were down, we really couldn't afford to. Yeah, I'm with you on the red zone play calling. I think that's probably the most frustrating. Um, but then you have to look at the other side of the coin. Now, Notre Dame had a 4.8 yards per carry in the first half on only 11 carries. It's not great. Um, certainly not something where you would say, hey, we got to go back to the running game. It works so well. In the second half, they only rushed the ball seven times, and that was for 7.4 yard, 7 yards per carry. Now, we did have a couple nice runs in there. Um, I think we had a 14-yarder by Carlisle, a 16-yarder by Atkinson. You know, So those are some big, nice chunk plays, but I think one of the things that I would argue is there's always this assumed success with the running game. So you look at a number like, oh, we were running seven yards per carry. Why don't we run more? But... Maybe we were hitting some of those long runs specifically because we were passing the ball a lot and keeping Agreed. Michigan off balance uh, in that regard. Now, possibly we could have ran the ball 20 times in the second half, and then that yards per carry number comes down to 3.8. And now, you know, are people bagging on the play calling because of running the ball too much and not throwing the ball? So, like you no. said, we were moving the ball in the air. Um, it's frustrating when, when we get into the red zone. We were behind virtually the whole entire game. Um, so I, I do understand some frustration w with the play calling. Um, I think some of the uh, the hair pulling about, you know, Kelly not committing to the run is a little bit overblown. But um, I think when it comes down to it, I think I would have liked to seen some of the younger guys get some carries. So let's talk about the running backs in this game. Um Neither of the freshmen get, get any carries. That, I don't know. That's kind of concerning me. Uh, a little bit worried about them. Likewise. Um, I think people are pretty low on Atkinson. Do you think that's just a f because of all his uh, drop passes? I thought he was okay in the running game. Um, he still hasn't really shown me much in terms of him improving a whole lot uh, with his power running and his, his cutting ability and stuff like that. I think... When you look at him as purely a running back, I don't think his ceiling's that awfully that high. Um, I thought Carlisle Carl looked pretty well. Um, and Obviously, uh, McDaniel only had one carry, so we don't really know much about him. What do you think about the running backs? And uh, Let me ask you this question. Do you think this is now um, Carlisle's opportunity to be the guy on offense? I do. I, I do think that his performance was uh, pretty good. Uh, you take away his 14-yard run, 
Uh, he still has 11 carries for 50 yards. That's still pretty good by me. I think with every running back, and using Theo Riddick from last year's team as an example, what Brian Kelly asks of his running backs isn't just a guy who can take a handoff and run it through the hole. Uh, it's a guy who can pick up blitzes. It's a guy who can catch a pass, that can run out into the flat. It's a guy that can really do a lot more than is expected of a running back. And I think that's where we saw some shortcomings by George Atkinson. We saw a couple drop passes by him, um, and though I think one of them you could put on Tommy for sailing it a little, but there were a couple that he, he could have had. Uh, I think you saw Carlisle in a lot more because of blitz pickup. I think Carlisle did a little bit better job at picking up the blitz uh, when Michigan was uh, picking, when Michigan was trying to uh, uh, send a linebacker pick up a spot to try and get Tommy Rees. Overall, it's you can if you have to give a grade to a running backs, I think it has to be incomplete. When you have a, a overall as a unit, when they only get 19 carries, um, and it, that's the stat sheet counting one of Tommy Reese's sacks, so 18 carries, it's it's not necessarily uh, a unit that you can give a plus or minus to. Uh, there were some good looks, but I, I'm with you. I think a lot of what we saw with regards to the ease of the running game was the fact that Michigan was dropping eight against Tommy Rees and trying to te they were trying to get him to throw the ball. Is that last year's defensive game plan, the game plan two years ago that teams would run against Tommy Rees is they would drop eight because they knew he couldn't run the football. So what you saw from... Brian Kelly was you saw sort of a way to keep them honest, and he would inject a running play here and there where our running back would gain five or six yards because their running backs are bailing ten yards downfield. Right. And I think that is where you sort of saw some of the success. When you want to grade it on the specifics, look at our first two offensive drives. We, we struggled to run the football because they were playing the run. Yep. And... It, when we were able to run the football, it's because they were playing the pass. And I think that's where Brian Kelly's offensive philosophy comes in, is that if we keep throwing the ball over and over and over and over again, there's going to be that one time where we're going to run a uh, delayed draw or a trap or, or a power out of shotgun, that, and they're not going to be ready for it. And we saw that a couple times against Michigan. Unfortunately, it came when we were down at, oh, by a touchdown or more. And it really didn't allow for the unit to really get going. Um, but coming back full circle, the one I was the most impressed with, uh, stop, start over, the one I was the most impressed with was Amir Carlisle. Uh, he was able to put together a complete game. I really wouldn't give a grade to Cam McDaniel. Uh, he had the one carry. Um, I would have liked to have seen our freshman get some action, but I think the fact that we were down the entire time sort of hindered that. I, I bet I would have not been surprised if we were up a touchdown or up 10 points if you saw Folston or you saw Greg Bryant take a couple snaps, but I think what, the reason why we saw these veterans play was because of the, the scoreboard at the time. But overall, I'm not that disappointed in the running game. I'm not even really that disappointed that we, we didn't run the ball as much. Uh, I, I'm more or less uh, annoyed that our defense put us in a position where we couldn't really utilize it the way we wanted to. 
Yeah, I'm right with you on that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty surprised with Carlisle's toughness. And getting back to what you said about running the ball early, uh, I was looking at his carries, and he, he started out negative one, four yards, two yards, one yard. Um, and that was early in the game when Michigan was prepared for the run. And we and, had a couple third and shorts where we ran the ball off yep. guard on dives trying to get that one yard, and we couldn't. Yep. So if you're Brian Kelly and you see that in front of you, it's like, well, our offense really isn't getting some getting that push. We're going to have to start, you know, throwing it some sh- short outs to Jones, some short outs to, to Nicholas, throw the ball up for Chris Brown and DeVaris Daniels. Why wouldn't you do that? Because you already know you can exploit that. Yeah. And Carlisle did finish pretty strong with carries of 6, 6, 14, 7, 12, 6, 5, and then he finished with a two-yarder, so... I like the way he played. Um, Let's talk about the wide receivers and tight ends. Um, We'll kind of lump them together. Uh, Nicholas had a pretty strong game, uh, finishing with six receptions, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Um, He got beat on a block, which I mentioned a few times in my post-game recap that will go up Monday morning. Um, He got beat on a big third down and two. Uh, we tried to throw a screen to Daniels, and that got blown up. But overall, I thought Nicholas played well. Um, go ahead and talk about the, the receivers, and also maybe talk a little bit about how or why we're not seeing um, Welch and Koyak. I think that's a bit of a surprise through two games. They're virtually not on the field at all. Again, I think this was a product of the score and our offensive game plan, uh, the way we didn't see Welch and Koyak. Uh, you saw a lot of four wide sets, and instead of employing two tight ends, uh, you saw Brian Kelly put somebody like Robinson on the field. You saw him put Procise on the field. So he was seemed to me like he was substituting speed for size in that case. Um, I thought the wide receivers played well. Anytime you got one wide receiver with nine, so the way I'm looking at it on the sheet, Nine receptions, six receptions, six receptions, three, two, and then three guys with one, and one of them was George Atkinson's one catch for 16 yards. You're looking at a unit that did what was asked of them. And like I said when we were talking about Tommy Reese, he threw for 314 yards. Most of that was to this core, and I think they did a really good job. I will point out the one play that I really liked that I hadn't seen before was that middle screen to Troy Nicholas. Yeah. Because when you had and it's sort of the football lexicon textbook that when you have a team that's going to drop eight, the way that you beat them is screens and draws. We obviously weren't going to run the ball, so why not try some screens? Well, we tried some screens to the outside. Obviously, the one that you've pointed out, I'm I'm not going to go any further than than what's been said about the DeVar Daniel screen, but I really liked the Troy Nicholas screen. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a play you see later this season. I think that uh, again, I was very happy with DeVaris Daniels. I think Chris Brown put in a good performance. I also want to, I guess if you want to talk disappointment, disappointment, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't utilize Corey Robinson more than we did. The one catch, 12 yards. When you got a guy that size against the Michigan defensive secondary who across the board is pretty undersized, I would have liked to see him utilized a bit uh, a little bit more, uh, but as a whole, I think the unit played pretty well. Uh, fundamentally sound for the most part. You never saw any penalties from them. 
you saw some pretty solid uh, catches. Uh, T.J. Jones had longest of a 23, Nicholas 21, Daniels 22. So your top three wide receivers and tight end are putting together a game that you would assume would put you in a contention to win. And I, I thought they played pretty admirable. It's a unit where if they put up these statistics, uh, will run, will win going away against teams like Purdue and some of the lesser teams on our schedule. Uh, but as a whole, I'm not disappointed in the least. I'm actually pretty, pretty pleased with the performance of uh, of the wide receiving core. Even at the end of the game, the one interception that Reese threw. I'm not entirely sure that you can fault the wide receivers on that. I think it was just a pass that was thrown a little bit too hard, a little bit too high. And uh, anytime your two top two wide receivers, one of whom is an NFL build prototype, get touchdowns, you're obviously doing something right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought they played pretty well. Now let's take a look at special teams, and I think this might get mm -hmm. lost because of the look at lost in the lost. Uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, this might have been one of the best special teams games of the Brian Kelly era, which is kind of funny or ironic because of how much people are talking about um, Notre Dame getting out coached. Uh, we had Brinza, who had two pretty good punts. Uh, you know, nothing great, but they were pretty solid punts. He nails all three of his field goals. A couple of those were 40-yarders um, and beyond. Uh, he was pretty strong on his kickbacks. He had four touchbacks out of seven kicks. Uh, we had a nice return by Atkinson, a 50-yarder. And uh, our lone punt return was for 18 yards. So uh, really nothing to be uh, upset with the special teams, which is pretty rare in the Brian Kell area. What would you think? Maybe outside of the 2010 Utah game, this may have been the most complete special teams performance we put together. And the only reason why I mention the Utah game is because we blocked a punt for a touchdown. When you look at sort of the, the concerns of our special teams unit last week, almost everything was addressed across the board. Well, we had kickers last week that couldn't make field goals. Well, our guy this week made all three, and I think it's pretty safe to say that Kyle Brins has taken the position from Nick Tausch, and I wouldn't be surprised, barring injury, if you saw Brinza back there for the duration. You had a kickoff kicker where we were concerned he couldn't get touchbacks. Well, he more than half of his kicks were touchbacks. You had a guy who was sort of pooching the ball into the end zone and not really putting position-wise our defense uh, in, a, in a spot where they could really use the field position to their advantage, whereas against Michigan, even though he only punted twice, anytime you got one of 43 yards, and I guess the other was 37 yards, you're obviously punting very well. And if you're, again, it's worth mentioning, 410 yards of offense, we only punted the ball twice, which means we were moving the ball. And anytime your punter has less than five punts a game, your offense is doing something right. And I think it's reflective of that. I wouldn't be surprised, and it's worth mentioning that there was talk that we would have been able to... Uh, exploit their punt return, and on T.J. Jones's one return, you really did see that. Uh, it bodes well going down, going forward that we actually have an element to our punt return that we're able to use, that teams aren't going to expect us to fair catch the ball every time now. 
I do like the fact that George Atkinson put together a good kickoff return because I think any time that you have a running back back there that gets a good return, it gives him confidence. Right. So it, it, as a whole, I don't think there was any problem that I had with our special teams performance. I mean, we gave up one moderately long kickoff return. But other than that, it really was not a bad performance at all. In fact, dare I say it was probably the best performance that we put together all, all uh, under Brian Kelly. Okay, so now the team stands at 1-1. One and one. They dropped to, I believe, 21st in the AP poll. And um, in the coaches as well. Okay, in both polls. Um, now, you already said that you didn't think this loss was all that damaging. You kind of predicted that. Um, I do want to point out that I was going to predict a loss as well, but going on the radio a day before my preview, I kind of chickened out and uh, decided to pick Notre Dame by three. So I'm not terribly upset either. Um, so, Paul, what has your viewpoint been altered at all on what you expect to see the rest of the season? Um, we have a, a night road game at Purdue next Saturday. That should be an easy victory. Um, I know people will say Purdue plays Notre Dame tough, but, you know, sometimes they don't, like two years ago. No, they don't. Uh, um, big, big, one of the biggest myths out there. Right. Um, and then in two weeks we have Michigan State, who is severely struggling on offense, and Oklahoma, who has looked, uh, they looked okay. Do you think it is imperative to go 3-0 and to get into October at 4-1? and I think you want to get into the bye with a winning record. Even if we're 3-2, and two, I'm not necessarily that distraught over it. Uh, you want to see the team make progress. You don't want to see them regress. And what you saw defensively against Michigan was you saw the team regress. I think offensively they grew, despite the fact that we didn't have specific performances from players that we were hoping, that we didn't see players that we wanted to. I still think that, as a whole, our offense is growing. I think when you look at our schedule, it's not as daunting. Again, and we sort of get this, I think every Notre Dame fan will tell you, is when you watch the ESPNs of the world, when you watch the Fox, New, the Fox Sports ones of the world, and you see all these commentators at the beginning of the year talk about how hard and difficult Notre Dame's schedule is, and then bowl season comes around and they talk about how we played no one. Right. And I, I think this is setting up to be one of those again, that what looked like hard games on our schedule may not necessarily be hard games. I mean, dare I say we were talking in our pre preseason podcast that BYU may be one of those games. I mean, right now, looking at the, the, the slate of college football games over the weekend, BYU is probably one of the toughest teams on our schedule coming right. up, that you have... A, a, a severely weakened, and, and I'm not going to fault Purdue for it because they're 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 obviously rebuilding under uh, their new coach. So I will give them some credit for that. But they, they're a severely weakened team um, in, in in Purdue. You have a Michigan State team, like you said, that is absolutely woeful on offense. I mean, maybe by the time we play them, that they'll have Damian Terry under center instead of Connor Cook or uh, Andrew Maxwell. Who knows? But they've got to get something going because they look a lot like the 2002 Notre Dame squad where all of our points in the first four games came from the defensive side of the ball or special teams. 
And that's not a recipe for success, especially when you're playing in a conference like the Big Ten. Yeah, and then just looking at the schedule, uh, we have four more games until the bye. I think if they can win these next four games, um, it'll be pretty huge. The first two are obviously looking much more winnable than the second two with Oklahoma and then the neutral site game versus Arizona State. But if they somehow get to 4-1, or excuse me, be 2-3, and one mm-hmm. with a bye, then you're looking at USC, who I'm sure everyone knows lost to Washington State and is having some issues on offense, to put it lightly. The second half of the schedule doesn't look that bad at all with Air Force, Navy, Pitt, and then the, the two tough games to end the season. Um, I really think they need to win these next four games. Would you agree? I would. Um, if we were to drop one of those, it really, again, wouldn't crush me. But, again, it's like you said, when you're looking at the slate of teams that, that we have coming up going into the bye, there's no reason why any of them should be losses. Uh, when you look at a team like Purdue, when you look at a team like Michigan State, when you are when you look at our Shamrock Series game, which we always, uh, it, at least in past history, have performed well in those games, there's no reason why those games shouldn't be wins. Uh, I'm with you. I, w- I would like to see them win, but when you consider again, some of the weaknesses that we have on D, it's my hope that at least against Purdue we sort of address some of them. Uh, It's my hope that against Michigan State we address some of them, that we recognize and are able to utilize a defensive game plan that doesn't uh, really expose some of the the weaknesses that we have. But I'm with you. I I, I think even going further down the road, it's it's not out of the question that this could still be a a at worst a nine and three team, and it should in many ways be a ten and two or eleven and one team. This is still a very good football team, despite what a lot of people are uh, feeling and saying after losing to Michigan. It, when you look at our performance on paper, it's not as bad as the score indicated. It's not as bad. As the statistics indicated, this is still a team that is capable of putting up points on the board. This is still a team that is capable of winning football games. It's just a matter of being able to put all those pieces together. But this isn't 10 and 2, 11 and 1 is not out of the realm of possibility. And going into the bye, I'm with you. There's, there should be no reason why we shouldn't win any of those games. But if we do drop one, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world because I think going down the road with the rest of the slate of our schedule, they're all winnable games, and that includes Stanford. Yeah, before the season, I thought that three-game stretch with Oklahoma, Arizona State, and USC, there was probably going to be one loss in there. And uh, after the first couple of weeks, I still think that Arizona State is the most likely so after the first two weeks, Notre Dame sits at one and one. Um, the sky's not falling. Um, in only a few weeks, the season can turn around. There's still lots to play for. As Paul said, this team is still very talented. That's going to wrap up One Foot Down Episode 8. I want to remind people to go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and leave your reviews. Paul, do you have anything else to wrap up the episode? Go Irish beat Purdue. All right. This will be up on Monday, 
and uh, we'll see you in another week's time. Take care.